Well, good morning, my family. How about we declare this truth together today? In the mighty name of Jesus, we'll sing it. Oh, yeah. We give thanks to you, God. Your love endures forever. Mercy is an open door. Your mercy is our treasure.
all just turn to one another and say, I am glad to see you in God's house today. Amen. Welcome, welcome. Well, good morning, New Beginnings family. How are we doing this morning? Good. All right. Well, church, we just want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us this morning, uh, this 9 o'clock service. Uh, before we get started, is anyone visiting us for the very first time today? Awesome. We're all family. Well, welcome back, family. <laughs> Good morning, church. It's so good to see you again. I know I've said good morning like four times. That's all right. That's all right, right? You, yeah. You'll forgive yeah. me. You'll forgive me. It is good to see you in the house of God. Welcome to all of those who are watching online. Let's give all of those online a big welcome as well. Amen. <clears throat> Listen, however you can get to church, that's good, right? Whether it's here in person, we know that we're in, in on holy ground here in church. But if you need to join online, that's your holy ground as well. Make it your holy ground and just worship God. That's all we want is someone to yep. come before the presence of God. Amen. We have a couple of announcements for you this morning. Um, the first, I'm going to blend both of those into one. It's March 26th, which is in a, a Sunday. Is it next Sunday? Next or Sunday. It's next Sunday next already. Sunday. March 26th, next Sunday. Two things are happening. First is baptism. If you um, are considering baptism, amen, let's give him praise for baptism. It's a good day. It's the day that you were born again into, into Christ's um, holy presence and, into, his, and, and into walking a life for Christ, amen? So that's next Sunday. If you have um, any desire in your heart for baptism or you have some questions about baptism, you can um, sign up. There's some advanced classes you can take. There's um, a QR code probably on the screen behind me. If not, I'm sure Barbara will get it up there because she's a genius. She'll put it up there here in a second. But you can click on that QR code. You can sign up for baptism. Um, you can ask questions about baptism. Also on Sunday on March 26th, there's a class right before. Um, so you can go and take that class. But it's an important step in your walk with Christ. The other thing that's happening on March 26th is meet the pastors. Um, so I know that you've heard from a lot of pastors over the last few weeks, but we're thinking that maybe, just maybe, fingers crossed, knock on wood, hopefully, you know, God will bring our pastor back. Pastor Richard Mansfield will be back on March 26th. So if you haven't met him, um, this would be your opportunity to meet him. Um, but meet the pastors is an important time, not just so that you can understand who your pastors are that you've heard for, from over the past few weeks, but also the our church, our pastors can understand who you are. And um, in a big church like this, when, when pastors stand up at the pulpit, we see all the faces from up here. But sometimes we want to know the hearts of the people that are being served. And this is an important opportunity to do that. So remember, next Sunday, baptism and meet the pastors. That's what I got. What do you got, AJ? Definitely. So youth, is there any youth here this morning? 
probably not. The parents are still yelling at it's them to get too, ready. It's too early. Teenagers so, don't get yeah. up this early. But yeah, nope. is it, right? No teenagers. <laughs> but there are parents of youth. There is. There are so parents of parents, youth. Parents of youth. Yeah. That's right. Uh, youth camp is coming up here this summer. It's going to be an amazing time. They're going to encounter Christ like no other in a way that they can understand with their young minds, that they can understand and, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Connect in, in a way that they understand. Uh, it's going to be an awesome time. We're going out to Riodoso. Registration is open for that. So if you want to send your children, uh, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephew, your brother, sister, or whoever you are a guardian of, encourage them to go. Or just send them. That's what my parents said. They just sent us away because they needed a week off from us. <laughs> That's what I did. I just sent my kids away. I need. I needed vacation, so I sent them away. Exactly. They're not here to listen to me this morning anyway. So. <laughs> but either way, when they come back, they're going to be on fire for God. They're going to know who Christ is, and that's what's most important. That's the purpose. So if your child is going into the fourth grade next school year or graduating high school this year, they are eligible to go. I'm going to repeat that one more time. If they're going into fourth grade next year or all the way to graduating high school this year, they are eligible to go. David Sanchez will be at the desk over there in front of the youth sanctuary. Uh, he can get you all registered and set up with a fundraising and if you have any other questions about that. Another thing that's happening is new newbie kids. On Easter, they're going to have an Easter egg hunt along with all of their teachings for Easter Sunday. It's going to be awesome for them. They're asking for donations for their Easter hug. So if you want to donate some, like, candy to put in the little eggs, not the, the candy egg. from Halloween. Not, from, no, not, 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 not the not candy the from Halloween. Egg. That's probably no good anymore. Yeah. But if you want to donate a bag or two or, or something, they would really much appreciate that. You can give that to Jessica or drop it off at the front Or uh, the little desk. eggs. The little yeah, eggs. the eggs, too. Yeah, the plastic eggs. They, they'll probably need tons of those. Or little toys. Do they put little toys in the candy eggs now? little toy. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd say <laughs> donate whatever you think is going to fit in that little egg exactly. that kids would like, right? Sometimes parents don't like the kids to have all that candy, and sometimes it's cool for them to have just a little something inside the egg. So if you can think of something there, I'd say donate that as well. I know Sister Jessica that runs Newbie Kids, she'd be, she'd be excited for that. And kids are excited to see those little things in the eggs too. Wow. Most definitely. That's what we've got for announcements. They told us to keep us short, so we're cutting yes. our announcements short today. Apparently, we talk too much. But listen, it's good. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I get paid to talk, so <laughs> that's what I do for a living. So it's all right. Listen, um, but everything that we talked about here today, you know, youth camp, a newbie kids, baptisms, all of that, it's not possible without your faithful giving. We say this every Sunday. Again, QR code behind us boxes at the entrances if that's how you want to give thank you so much church for your faithful giving it makes it so that the pastors of this church can in fact live out our commitment which is to reach up reach in and reach out into our community because we serve a lost and dying world that needs to hear about god's grace and sometimes just needs a helping hand right and that's what we do and we can only do it um, with your faithful giving. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Most definitely. Church, we have an amazing ministry here that uh, was started here by a couple of pastors uh, called Under His Construction. And what they do is they help people, they bring people from the streets or people who are incarcerated or just people in general who need to get help back on their feet. They have a special program to help them get back on their feet, help them get a job, and most importantly, they minister to them and they tell them about Christ. 
Um, today is a very special day. Pastor Chris, Pastor Sonia, if you're here, I don't see her. Pastor Chris, why don't you come up here? This is the man who started it all, this program. And we're going to celebrate some people today who completed this program. Thank you so much. This is my Vanna White today standing in for Sonia. And so, um, here we go. Thank you so much, church. It's an honor to be here to graduate six people today. And as they said, uh, we couldn't do this without you. Uh, Your support and your prayers is what's so important for Under His Construction and the men and women. And so as the men's director of Under His Construction, I've seen firsthand the deep hurt and devastation that fatherlessness brings to a man and woman's life. Our prisons are full of men and women who lived recklessly after being abandoned by their fathers, wounded by the men who should have loved them the most. How many follow, or many uh, now follow the same pattern of irresponsibly, Ill- irresponsibility that their fathers did, while so many mothers have sacrificed to help their children survive. They were never intended to carry the weight alone. We thank God for them. But research is providing, uh, proving that a child also desperately needs a daddy. There's no way around this fact. I now believe that God desires for every father to courageously step up and do whatever it takes to be involved in the lives of his children But more than just being there for uh, or providing for them, he is to walk with them through their lives and be a visual representation of the character of God, their father in heaven. A father should love their children and seek to win their hearts. He should protect them, discipline them, and teach them about God. He should model how to walk with integrity and treat others with respect and should call out his children to become responsible men and women who live their lives for what matters in eternity. Some men will hear this and mock or ignore it, but I tell you that as a father, you are accountable to God for the position of influence he has given you. You can't fall asleep at the wheel only to wake up one day and realize that your job or your hobbies have no eternal value but the soul of your children do. But there are some men and women who regardless of the mistakes we've made in the past, regardless of what our fathers did not do for us, will give strength of our arms and the rest of our days to loving God with all that we are to teach our children to do the same. And whenever possible, to love and mentor others who have no father in their lives, but who desperately need help and direction. When we are inviting any man whose heart is willing and courageous to join us in this resolution, in my home, 
we've made the decision. Uh, the decision has already been made. You don't have to ask who will guide my family because by God's grace, I will. You guys come up here. And if you men of God in the church want to join, you can stand up and you say, you don't have to ask who will guide my family because by God's grace, I will. Who will accept the responsibility of providing and protecting for my family? I will. Who will ask God to break the chain of destructive patterns in my family's history? Who will pray for the for and bless my children to boldly pursue whatever God calls them to do? I am their father. I will. And today it's my pleasure and my honor to graduate five people that have successfully completed one year of discipleship training. Not just with under his construction, but with our church. They've completed uh, beginning and advanced discipleship. And they've gone on to, to make decisions of who they're going to serve. And they've gone on to make decisions of who they're, what they're going to do in the church. And so today, I'd like to ask Teresa, come up and receive your award and stand, stand over there. Anthony. That's right. Hand clap. It's not easy dealing with me. And it's okay. And Jalen. Pacheco? That's all right, brother. And Christopher Sennas? Jonathan Cahill Henry? And Joey Duran? <laughs> and so, church, as we do this, uh, we ask you to help them to stay accountable to, to the decisions that they've made in the church and in their life as well with the relationships they, they've built here in church and ask them make make sure that they stay close. And so with that, thank you, church, so much for all that you do for us. God bless you. Congratulations, guys. Before you guys step off stage, can we pray for you real quick? We're going to... We're going to pray for you guys real quick. Thank you, Of course. <laughs> and if, all, if, if our family would agree with us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you came into these people's lives, Lord, when they felt like they had nothing left. But God, you came in and showed them uh, their worth to you, God. You gave them mentors like Pastor Chris and Pastor Sonia to pick them back up on their feet to give them a chance when no one else would and we thank you for that lord we pray as as uh, we celebrate their accomplishment lord that they would go out and that they would they would continue the will and the love that they have for you god to carry out their purpose for you or your purpose for them rather and that they would share others about christ and that they would Share the love that you have shown them, God. We thank you for everything you've done. In Christ's name, amen. Congratulations again, guys.
How amazing is that? Let me tell you one thing that I was thinking of just now, that those gentlemen and that young lady that was up here, they are step one into breaking what we call a generational curse, right? We believe in this generational curse. They have just stepped it. And right now they are pouring on their families a generational blessing. Amen. Amen. That's amazing. Amazing. Well, let me tell you, church, it's, it's good to be here in the house of the Lord, but we're here to hear the word of God, right? That's right. That's Amen. what we're here to do. We're here to hear the word of God. Today we have an amazing, amazing pastor, um, a homegrown pastor who is now out there changing the world in Michigan. Would y'all just welcome to the, to the pulpit, Pastor Jaime Cervantes. so much. Thank you, sister. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. We're going to do something that I like to do every time that I've been here. Um, if you're watching online, good morning to you, too. Uh, my name is Pastor Jaime Cervantes, as I was introduced, but I want to start us off the right way. You guys ready? Okay. I'm going to say good morning and welcome to New Beginnings, and you're going to say the best place to be on a Sunday morning. You ready? All right. Good morning, church, and welcome to New Beginnings. Amen. You guys look good. Listen, I hope no one from my congregation is watching because we always say that we're the best place to be on a Sunday morning. So I'm hoping that they're at church right now and they're not watching this. So if you're watching online, welcome. Uh, just church, I, I just want to tell you what a privilege it is to be here this morning with you and to bring God's word. Before we, we pray and we get started, I, I just want to say uh, one thing to the graduates. You graduated the program, but you didn't graduate from church. So you need to be here next week. Make sure you're here uh, next week. Church, let's pray and let's get into the word of God. Uh, Lord, we're just grateful, Lord. We, we are excited, God. We are so thankful to have a place where we can come together and worship, Lord. And, and Father, you've heard our voices already in the songs and the worship. But now it's time for us to hear from you. So God, I, I pray that you would clear our minds, prepare the soil in our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us this morning. Amen. Well, friends, this morning we are in the third week of the current series that you are in, church, that's titled The Power of God's Mercy. And this morning we're going to be in the book of Psalms. So if you have your your Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 130. But I just want to take, as you're looking for the passage, I want to take a moment to say this. The Psalms are amazing. The book of Psalms is amazing. Church, the book of Psalms is this collection. It's 150 songs, poems, and hymns. And they are all mashed together, and they're, they sit right in the middle of your Bible. And church, there's a little bit, the reason I love it so much is because there's a little bit of everything in them. And that's why I, I like this book so much. It's raw. It's real. In it, you find the entire spectrum of human emotion. Okay, there's praise, but there's pain. There's joy, but then there's depression. You find gratitude, but you also find grief in the pages. There's desperation, but there's also restoration. There are these summits, right? These peaks, but then there's also these valleys. There are these incredible moments of these incredible highs, but then there are these instances of these really deep 
and dark lows. In other words, it goes from here to here and everything in between. That's the Psalms, and I love it. And here's why. Because we've all been there, haven't we? We've been from here to here and everything in between. So church, if you have your Bible with you, please open it to the book of Psalms. And this morning, as I mentioned before, we will be in 130. And the word of God says this. We're gonna read the entire Psalm now, and then we'll break it up into a few verses at a time. God's word says as follows. Out of the depths, I cry out to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen. Amen. Now, the psalm we just read is, is maybe one of the most important psalm of all. Look, it's, definite, it's, it's not one of the more famous ones, right? Like when you think of famous psalms, you think of 1, 5, 23, 51, 91, etc. But it may not be one of the more popular ones, but it's one of the more important ones. Why? Well, because Psalm 130, church, is the blueprint for reconciling with God. It is about how we get right with God. So it's really, really important stuff. Listen to this. Martin Luther, Martin Luther, the, the German priest and theologian who led the Reformation of the church in the 16th century or so, he said that Psalm 130 was his favorite psalm of all. And then there's a man by the name of John Newton. Does anyone know who John Newton is? Just a show of hands. Okay, there's a couple of you. John Newton uh, was a lost and hopeless alcoholic and addict. And he wrote a very famous song that you might have heard. It's called Amazing Grace. Have you heard of that song? Okay. If you live on planet Earth, you have probably heard Amazing Grace. And guess what? He said the same thing. He said his favorite song was 130. In fact, it's what led him to the Lord. And, and his autobiography, the story of his life from addiction to Christ, is called Out of the Depths. That's the title of his autobiography. And it's a great title, right? Out of the Depths. And that's the first few words in this psalm. Now, the writer and the author of the eight verses that we just read is unknown. There are people who believe that it's King David that wrote this psalm, but we don't know for certain. But what we do know, what we do know is that whoever wrote it found themselves in a very dark and desperate and painful place. But what makes this psalm so great is that over the course of eight verses, they go from here all the way to here. So let's look at this psalm, just one verse at a time, beginning with verse one, and see what it is that God has for each one of us this morning. So let's start with verse one. Verse one says this, out of the depths I cry out, O Lord. I love this line. This is, this is as vulnerable as it gets. It doesn't say, I call out to you, O Lord. It says, I cry out 
to you. You can feel and you can sense the emotion and the desperation of the writer in this opening line. This is a person who has hit rock bottom. And the phrase, out of the depths, this is really interesting, church, don't miss this. The phrase, out of the depths, is a phrase that is used throughout the Bible to describe the depths of the ocean. And it, and it makes total sense, and here's why. Because the deepest places on earth are found in the ocean. So, so how deep does it go? I'm glad that you asked. There, there is a place, I'm, I, I'm a little bit of a nerd, and you, just bear with me. There's a place in the Pacific Ocean that's known as the Mariana Trench. And this place is 36,000 feet deep. It's 36,000 feet deep. So just for context, that by comparison, the highest mountain on planet Earth is Mount Everest. And it's 29,000 feet tall. So if you dropped Mount Everest into this trench, it would easily cover it by more than a mile. That is how deep it goes. It is incredibly deep. And here's the thing about the depths of the ocean. Here's the thing about the depths of the ocean. The further you go down, the darker it gets. In fact, it gets pitch black. And the further you go down, the temperature drastically drops. In other words, it gets really, really cold. It's this freezing and paralyzing kind of cold. So it's dark and it's cold. And the further you go down, the more pressure builds to the point that it crushes it. And something else that happens is that the further you go down, the less and less life you see. Here's what I'm getting at. The depths is a lonely, lonely place to be. Dark, cold, crushing, and lonely. Does this sound familiar? I don't know about you, but I love this analogy. I really love this comparison. It is, and it's out of this deep, dark, cold, crushing, and lonely place that this person, that the author of Psalm 130, cries out from. Out of the depths, I cry out to you, O Lord. So what exactly is this person crying out for? What are they asking for? Well, the answer's in verse 2. Look what verse 2 says, church. It says, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Mercy. I don't know about you, but I find this request to be a little bit interesting. Actually, I find it to be a little bit strange. And here's what I mean by that. Let me, let me ask you, if, if you found yourself all alone in a deep and dark place where the weight of the world is just crushing you and you could ask God for just one thing, what would it be? Here, let me answer, okay? Let, let, when I found myself all alone at my lowest point in my life, when I hit rock bottom in my life, I looked up. And you know what I asked God for? I asked him for help. I, I, I prayed the most prayed prayer of all time. God, help me, please. But that's not what we see here. That's what's so interesting. Here, the psalmist asks for mercy. But why? I'm, I'm sure he needs help. It sounds like he needs help. Ah, oh, this thing's falling off, sorry. It sounds like he needs help. But but he asks for mercy. I mean, this, this man's in the depths. He's drowning. But instead of asking for help, the plea is for 
mercy. And so the question, church, is why? Why is he asking for mercy? So before, before we can answer that question, we first need to understand exactly what mercy is. And I'm sure you've gotten this definition over the last two weeks. At least I hope so. But put simply, mercy is not getting what I deserve. That's what mercy means. And another way to say it is, mercy is when God does not give me what I have earned. So, so what, we, what we have here is someone who is in a really bad situation and they got there as a result of their own actions. They're in this really bad situation, but they got there as a result of their own actions. They definitely need help. There's no doubt about that. But first things first, what they need most of all is mercy. And church, we have to appreciate the self-awareness that this person has. What, what they are saying is this, God, I need your help. There's no doubt about that. But before I can even ask you to help me and heal me, I need to get right with you. I need mercy. Friends, hear me when I say this. A lot of us want the help from God without getting right with God. A lot of us just want God's help, but we don't want to get right with God. And some of us, we don't even think that we need to get right with God because we are what the Bible calls self-righteous. We really think that we got this and we lack total self-awareness. Church, in, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells a parable that addresses this very thing. It's found in Luke chapter 18 and it's verses 10 to 14. And the Word of God says as follows. We're, just follow with me. This is really, really powerful stuff. The Bible says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Friends, let me just stop right there. I I need to give this some context. There are two characters in this story and they represent the two kinds of people in the world. There's a Pharisee who is a, a religious person, a religious leader, and then there is this despised tax collector. And by the way, the reason that these, per, that these people were so despised was because they were known to cheat people out of their money. They, they would charge these really excessive rates and there was really nothing that you could do about it because they had permission from the Romans to collect the taxes. And listen, if you didn't pay what the tax collector was asking for, soldiers would come to your door. It was all bad. So, so they basically had the ability to rob you and they could do it legally. And these men were Jewish, so, so they were seen as traitors to their own people. So what you need to know about tax collectors, church, is this. They were materially rich, but they were morally bankrupt. They, they, you know, they, they had a lot of, of money, but they had very little inside. They were empty inside. They were the lowest of the low. So back to the story, now that you understand the characters. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. So this guy, this Pharisee thinks he's better than most, if not all people. Instead of looking up, you know what the Pharisee does? Instead of looking up, 
he looks around. He finds the worst person in the room and then he compares himself to that person. And you know something in church? That is exactly what self-righteous people do. He looks at the tax collector and he says, God, I'm glad I'm not like him. And then he goes on to say, look at all the good things that I do. He's pretty proud of himself. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. This man was drowning in his guilt and his sorrow. He's so convicted in his heart that he can't even look up. He beats his chest and he says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. He doesn't look around like the Pharisee does. He doesn't look around. He looks up. He looks in. He looks in the mirror and he sees himself for what he is, a sinner in need of God's mercy. And in verse 14, Jesus says this, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus says it's the tax collector who went home justified before God. What does it mean to be justified before God, church? It just means that you are in right relationship with God, in right standing before God. Jesus says the tax collector is better off than the self-righteous religious guy. Jesus said, you need to be like the tax collector. Don't be like the Pharisee. The self-righteous Pharisee said, look at all that I do. The tax collector says, what have I done? The tax collector knew exactly what he needed. He needed mercy. Friends, a self-righteous person will look around at others, compare themselves and say, you know, I'm really, really not that bad. But a person who knows that they, they need to be made right with God doesn't look around. They look in, they look up. And, when, and what we find, church, when we finally look up is a holy and loving and perfect God. And that's when we realize just how broken we really are. Church, there's something that happens when we begin to draw near to God. And, and here's what happens, and I'm telling you, if you're a new believer, if, if you just started this walk, this relationship with Jesus, please be aware of this. You need to know this because I, I can remember uh, this, this happened to me, and I remember this with such clarity. The closer you get to God, the more you move toward the light, the marvelous light of Jesus Christ, the more, then the more you see yourself for what you are. See, here's what I mean. Light exposes you. As you get closer, you begin, it's like this light, right? You begin to see all your blemishes, all your imperfections, all your sins. And that's when you realize that what you need the most in your life is mercy. And what you need the most is to get right with God. But self-righteous people, they, they don't think there's anything wrong with them. When they find themselves in the depths, you know what they say? They say, God, I need your help, but I don't really need your mercy because I'm a good person. And let me give you the list of reasons why I'm so good. The list of reasons to prove it to you. I go to church. I give. 
I am awesome. I want you to fix my problems, but I don't want you to fix me. I want you to change my circumstances, but I don't want you to change me. But please, by all means, fix all these tax collectors around me, would you? Friends, there are two kinds of people in the world. Which one are you? And you might be sitting here right now going, Pastor, you know, I I know I'm not a Pharisee. I promise. I'm not self-righteous. I'm not judgmental of others. But I'm not really the tax collector either, right? I'm not there beating my chest. Listen, I don't see a third character in the story. You are one or you are the other. And I will let you and God figure out which one it is. Amen? (laughs) Let's move on to verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Listen, iniquity is just another word for sin. And the psalmist asked the question, God, if you wrote down and kept track of all of our sins, who could stand before you? Church, it is a rhetorical question because the obvious answer is no one. And see, the biggest problem that we have in our lives is sin. And the thing that we need most is God's mercy and God's forgiveness. A lot of times, church, we we think our biggest problem is whatever trial or whatever storm it is that you're going through in that moment. And we think, we think that what we need most is for those storms to stop and for the trials to end. We want God to make all things right, but what we need first is for him to make us right, to make us right with him. And the thing that we need to do is deal with our sin. And here's the good news. Verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Here's the answer. Here's what we need. Forgiveness. Before anything else, what I need the most is God's mercy and God's forgiveness. There's an amazing passage found in Luke's gospel that illustrates this point perfectly. It's found in chapter 5, and it starts with verse 18. Luke chapter 5, verse 18. And let me just give it a little bit of context here, okay? This story that we're about to read takes place early in the ministry of Jesus Christ, okay? He just started teaching and healing, and his popularity is growing. In fact, it's not just growing. His popularity, his fame is exploding. He is gaining lots of fans But he's also gaining some enemies. And here in chapter 5, we find Jesus inside of someone's home. And the house is crowded and the house is surrounded with people. There are people there who want to be healed. There are people there who want to see people be healed. There are people there who want to watch. There are people there who want to listen. So let's go there now. Verse 18. God's word says, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. So let me stop right there, church. So here you have a guy who is literally in the depths. He is a paralytic. He is suffering from paralysis. He literally cannot move, but he has friends. And thank God for his friends. Look, his friends say to him, hey man, We can't help you. So we're going to pick you up and we're going to carry you and we're going to take you all the way to Jesus because you need Jesus. Church, these are some really good friends that this man has. We all need friends like this. Fire your other friends. Get friends like this. Friends that take you to Jesus. Amen? Graduates, fire your friends. Verse 19. 
But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the mist before Jesus. So they get to the house, to the place where Jesus is, but it's super, super crowded and they can't get to the door, much less through the door. There's just too many people there. But they don't give up. They don't give up. They, they are determined. They, they want their friend to be healed. So these guys, they get creative. They climb up to the roof of this house, and they begin to make a hole in the roof. So I want you to picture this, okay? Picture this, church. Picture you inside, listening to Jesus. You're watching him do what he's doing. And then all of a sudden, a piece of the roof just falls into the middle of this room and you look up and when you look up you see these guys and they're lowering their friend who is clearly paralyzed and strapped to a bed and why are they doing this here's why because they know that Jesus is the only person who can help him they have faith they know that Jesus is a healer, that he's a way maker, that he's a miracle worker and a life changer because Jesus Christ is all of that. They know that, that the kind of help that their friend needs, only God can give. So, so, they, so they bring him to Jesus hoping that he will make their friend walk because in their minds, what their friend needs the most is a physical healing, right? They, they, he needs a miracle. And look what happens in verse 20. So after they go through all this trouble, they make this hole, they drop the guy in. He's there. The whole crowd is watching. Jesus is about to do something. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Wait a minute, what? I, I want you to picture this. After they lower him in, right? Now I want you to Picture you're the friends. They lower him in. They're all standing at the roof. They're looking down in the hole. They're, they're talking to each other. He's going to do it. Watch. And, and they're anticipating and they're expecting Jesus to give this man what he needs the most. And Jesus does exactly that. He does exactly that. He says, man, your sins are forgiven. The friends on the roof are like, what? Lord, do you see his condition? He can't move. He can't walk. He's paralyzed. He's in this deep and dark and lonely place all, all alone. Do you not see what he needs the most, what he needs from you? And Jesus says, yes, I do see what he needs the most. He needs mercy and he needs forgiveness. That is what he needs the most. Now, don't worry. Jesus doesn't leave him in his bed. He heals his body. But before he heals his body, he heals his heart. Before he fixes the outside, Jesus starts by fixing the inside. That's the way God works. It's the way God operates. Verse 20, Jesus says to the paralytic man, your sins are forgiven you. And of course, the Pharisees, the, the, those religious guys we talked about earlier, they totally freak out and they're like, we got him. We got him. Look what verse 21 says. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Great question. Really, really good question. You know something about good questions? They deserve good answers. These guys had a good question. Who can forgive sins? The answer is no one. Only God can forgive sins. Hmm. I wonder what that means. I wonder what Jesus is trying to say here. If you haven't connected the dots, here's what Jesus is saying. 
I am the son of God. I am God incarnate in the flesh. I am the I am. Mic drop. And just to prove who he is, look what he does next. See, he backs up what he says. Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk? In other words, is it easier to forgive this man's sins? Or is it easier to make this paralytic get up and walk? Friends, can I tell you something? Healing this man was actually really easy for Jesus to do. All he had to do was just say the word. After all, he is God Almighty. But to forgive him his sins, that was much, much harder. Here's why. Because in order to do that, Jesus had to do much more than just say the words. In order to forgive us our sins, Jesus had to pay a very, very heavy and steep price. It cost him everything. He gave his life. He had to give it all to make that happen. He had to go to the cross. He had to take our place. He had to die for our sins. He, to heal this man was easy. To save him, that was much, much harder. I promise. Verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them. He picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. This man got up. He gave God the glory and rightfully so. He wasn't just healed, church. He was justified. He was made right with God. He wasn't just upright. He was made right, amen? He was right with God. He was healed from the inside out. Out of the depths, he cried out to the Lord and the Lord had mercy on him. Let's move on to verse five of Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. I love this. He says, my hope is in what God says. I'll repeat that. My hope is in what God says. Brother, sister, if you find yourself waiting on the Lord, get into his word. If you find yourself this morning in God's waiting room, there's, there's a great magazine on the table you can read while you wait on the Lord. It's called the Bible. You, you want to hear from God? You want to hear his voice? Then open up your Bible and start reading. The Bible is God's audible voice in print. In it, you will find everything that you need for your life. Don't put your hope in people, places, and things. Put your hope in him and in his promises. Amen? Verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. I love the picture that's painted here, and I think you're going to love it too. Let me explain what a watchman is, church. Back then, back in those days, there were no alarm clocks. There was no... There was just no, no clock, no wristwatch, none of that existed. So tracking time was a little bit tricky, uh, especially at night. Look, during the day, you could look up and look at the position of the sun, uh, and it would give you some idea. But at night, in the darkness, it was, it was a real challenge. The sun wasn't there to guide you. So, so they had these people called watchmen, 
whose job was literally to watch and wait for the morning to come. So they would sit in these towers and they would wait all night long and they would just scan the horizon through the darkness waiting for the first little glimpse of light. And when it came, when they spotted it, they would let other people know that the sun would soon rise. So these guys, these watchmen, they were like human alarm clocks, okay? Now here's the thing about the watchmen. Church, we want to be like the watchmen. No matter how dark and lonely and cold the night was, they never doubted that the morning would come. They never doubted that the morning would come. They only wondered when it would come. They knew that no matter what, that the sun was going to show up. And in the same way, church, no matter what, we can trust that the sun, the S-O-N, the son of God will show up if we put our faith and our trust in him. Amen? It's not a question of if he will show up. It is a question of when. We need to wait on the Lord like the watchmen wait for the morning sun. And finally, verses 7 and 8 say this, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. I love how verse 7 starts. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Think about this, church. Just six verses ago, this is the person who found themselves in the depths and cried out to the Lord, who cried out for mercy and received the forgiveness that only God can give. This, this person is the tax collector who couldn't even look up in verse one, who beat his chest and said, God have mercy on me for I'm a sinner. This is the same person who couldn't get up on their own, who came to Jesus with the help of their friends and received mercy, forgiveness, and healing. The, the author of Psalm 130 has gone from here all the way to here. And now in verse 7, he's now inviting other people, other people to put their hope in the same merciful and miraculous God. Six verses is all it took. Church, I want to share with you something that I tell uh, my congregation from time to time. Here's a little nugget. In fact, I shared it with a couple of people in the program last night, and it's this. When you read your Bible, if you really want it to come to life, every time, whenever you see the word Israel, go ahead and put your name in there and then read it again and watch what happens. It'll come alive. Every time you see the word Israel, put your name there instead. In fact, let's, we're going to try it right now. Verse 7 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Put your name there and just say it to yourself. Oh, new beginnings, hope in the Lord. Why? Because with the Lord, there is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. And that is what you and I need the most, especially when we find ourselves in the deepest and darkest and loneliest crushing of places. And verse eight says, he will redeem Israel. Go ahead and put your name there too. He will redeem you, brother, you, sister. He will redeem us of all our iniquities. Do you know what the word redeem means? It means to regain possession of something in exchange for payment. 
It's, it's regaining possession of something, or in this case, someone, in exchange for payment. It means that the Lord will regain and purchase his people. And you know something, church? This line, this psalm was prophetic because centuries later, the Lord did exactly that. God so loved you and me that he sent his son to die on the cross to redeem you. And it is at the foot of the cross that we find mercy, forgiveness, and healing in that order. All we have to do is pray the following prayer. Out of the depths I cry out to you, O Lord. If you're here this morning and you find yourself in the depths, you're in that lonely, crushing, dark, cold place in your life right now. You're in a storm and it's just pouring on you. Remember this. Even in the storm, it is our father that reigns and it is his son that still shines. Let's pray. Bow your heads, church. Right now is not a time to look around Pharisee and compare ourselves to anyone else. Right now is the time to look in and to look up at a holy God and see ourselves for what we are. If you're here this morning and you are in need of God's mercy and you know it, but you raise your hand, I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. The altar's open if you want to come up. If you want to come up, please, the altar's open. We want to pray with you. God bless you, brother. God bless you. If you're here this morning and you find yourself in the depths and you're going through something really difficult and you're just running out of strength and you just don't have it anymore and you're in that cold, crushing, dark place, maybe it's depression, maybe it's trauma that just keeps coming back, maybe it's, it's, it's you're just broken, maybe it's addiction that just won't let you go and you are in the depths of it and you need God's mercy today and his help, come forward. Come forward now. Come to the altar. We want to pray for you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Let's pray, church. Wait a minute. No. If you're here this morning and you have never, never, you know about Jesus, but you don't yet know Jesus. If you want to start, maybe, maybe you need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ today. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. If you want to say, God, you be saved. Brother, would you come up? I want to pray with you. I see one hand over there. Brother, would you come up? I want to pray with you right here. Let's pray, church. God, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you so much for this incredible, powerful psalm, for this blueprint, for this map, God, on how to get right with you. Thank you, Lord, that even out of the deepest of depths, we can cry out to you and trust that if anyone hears us, it's you, Lord. Thank you, God, for, for your mercy, for your forgiveness. God, we, we, we just assume that you can just change our circumstances, God. And you can, Lord, but what you want to change most is us, God. What you want to do is change us from the inside out. What we need, God, is mercy and forgiveness. And so, Lord, I just ask this morning that you would forgive us. Forgive me for all the ways that I fall short, God. Lord, have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us, God. And I just want to pray for every person up here 
that came up, God. I don't know everything that's going on in their lives, but they're crying out to you right now. And I know that there are people sitting here today and watching online who are crying out to you right now, Lord. And I know there are hands that wanted to go up, but couldn't go up, that feel like the paralyzed man, that for some reason we just can't move sometimes. God, I pray for them too, that you would continue to soften and work in their lives. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And we know, we know just like the watchman, that we will wait on you, Father, because we know that the sun will shine again. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, church.